This is episode 11 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. This is the first session of this year's annual enrichment conference. Session 1 features our Executive Director, Mark Hafner, speaking on Trinitarian Foundation. Well, good evening. I don't know about you, but Jerry, you're, you're killing me with this. Um, wow, what, a, uh, what an emotional time for me. Um, first of all, just those hymns. Um, I grew up in a, a Baptist church. Um, I think I was born in the third pew of uh, River Road Baptist Church in Eugene. Um, and we used to have singspirations at, at our church on, on Sunday night. How many of you remember those things? Yeah. And as a little boy, um, I just lay down on the pew with my head on my mom's lap. And my mom was a, a soprano. And, uh, and so as she would belt out those songs, uh, the, the reverberation uh, would, just, uh, would just go through my body as a, a little child on those uh, oak pews in that, in that Baptist church. And as I was um, sitting there just uh, getting, just flooding with uh, memories of my childhood, and then to have Dean up here, um, that, that hurts. Uh, uh, Dean has, uh, we started together back when I came into this role at CB Northwest. And um, Dean, I don't know if you remember, but we had Bruce Ware come and, and uh, we had the privilege of sitting down with Bruce and uh, designing this, what we believed was just an incredible experience of beholding the wonder of the Trinity. And uh, that was one of those early conferences that we did as we were looking to affect the culture of who we were as a covenant community of churches. And uh, we just together were uh, enraptured in the beauty of the Trinity. And, and Dean was the one at the piano leading us uh, in those early years of our, um, our annual enrichment conferences, beholding the wonder of the Trinity. Uh, tonight, I get the privilege of just kind of setting the stage for where we're going to go this week. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a little nostalgic for me. Uh, 20 years I've been in this role, and we are at that transition point. It's a, it's a time to uh, pass to the next generation. And uh, so this will probably be the last time I get to address from not only this role, but uh, uh, maybe uh, from uh, speaking to you as, as a keynote speaker for one of the sessions. And uh, as I was thinking about that, one of the, the problems with something like this is just 20 years of history, you want to you recount 20 years of history, and you, you <laughs> the cookies come in a little while, so uh, we, we can't do that. But tonight, what I'd like to do is just two things. One is I'd like to talk about transition and what does transition mean and what does it look like um, for CB Northwest as well as just what does transition look like from a, a biblical perspective? What does God say about transition? And I'd also like to just acknowledge um, some of those foundational truths that were built upon here. 
as a covenant community of churches in the Northwest. As we think about us living in authentic community, um, I want to just walk through some things together. Uh, before we go too far, though, um, uh, I have a mom, and my mom, mom, where are you? Where is my mom? Oh, she said, <laughs> wouldn't I, I should have known you'd be sitting on the couch, and uh, uh, so there's my mom back there in the, in the red, and uh, uh, my mom is 88 years old, and, uh, and my mom is uh, someone who's, who's loved Jesus uh, for, for most of her life as, as she's come to know the Lord, and I've had the privilege of growing up um, not only with godly grandparents, but uh, with godly parents, and uh, but my mom has um, tremors. My mom shakes. Um, she's got some, some, some bad tremors, and, and she works to try to, uh, to deal with those tremors. And um, we never fill her coffee cup all the way because it will end up being half full when she gets where she's going uh, with that coffee cup. And so sometimes this, this process of growing old is, is hard. And uh, we've had ministries, we've been able to do stuff, and now our bodies don't let us do the things that we used to be able to do. And, and so what do you do for Jesus when you can't do what you used to do? Uh, what do you do when you transition from middle age to, to being old and things just don't work right? And my mom um, has this incredible thing that happens in her life, and that is the tremors seem to stop when she, when she draws and when she paints. And so my mom asked the question, what could she do for you? Uh, what could she do for uh, the churches? And so my mom's made about 150 packets of cards and uh, they're out on the table out there, and uh, one per family. They're her gift uh, to you as the churches, and um, uh, first come, first serve. Uh, don't take more than one packet, okay, uh, because she'll know, because she has a direct line to Jesus, and he'll get you for doing that. Um, uh, but anyway, um, this is a gift from my mom uh, to all of you, and... Uh, Thanks. Jerry, I wore, I wore my brown shirt uh, for you. Uh, every video they have of me doing something at CB Northwest, I, I'm in this shirt. And uh, uh, so Jerry was kind of giving me a hard time about the last video that I did that I was wearing this shirt. So I thought I might as well just go out wearing wearing my Pendleton shirt. So this is for you, Jared, that I, I dressed up like this. Um, when we think about uh, transitions, when we think about the idea of um, what does it mean to, to remodel, what does it mean to be under construction, uh, what, what, what's it look like to upgrade? Uh, I don't know how many of you, after living in your home for a number of years, decided that it's time to remodel the kitchen, uh, it's time to to remodel the bathrooms, maybe it's you're going to put a new entryway on your house, uh, but you know it needs that facelift, uh, probably because some things don't work right, um, and you're going to just try to address 
some of those problems. But the problem with uh, a remodel is the choices. In other words, once you start down that road, it can get really expensive. Amen? Uh, in other words, you, you kind of know what you want until you watch one of those house shows. And all of a sudden you go, you know, that would be a good idea. Uh, then you, you look at that magazine, you know, that would be a good idea. And pretty soon uh, you have spent more on the remodel than you did when you bought the house in the first place. And you realize that one of the most difficult things about transition, about a remodel, is, is not the work itself, but it's the choices that you have to make prior to doing the work. We think about the choices that we have to make prior to doing the work, we realize that there are only so many options. And one of the problems with all of the options that are in front of us, each one of them affect that which we anticipate differently. When we think about transition, what we realize is that the anticipation of transition uh, can be different for the players who are involved in the remodel. In other words, um, as I think about the remodel and my wife thinks about the remodel and, and my kids think about the remodel, all of a sudden, how they anticipate what the outcome of that remodel is gonna be is very different. And to not communicate that which you anticipate can lead to some really dashed expectancies. Some things that I expect that are going to take place now potentially aren't going to take place because for your expectations to be met means that my expectations are going to have to, uh, to be dialed down. I'm going to have to back off a little bit on my expectations. As we've been in this transition here in the Northwest and we think about the remodeling or the, the going forward as we think about this whole idea of uh, where are we going uh, now that we are in the place that we're in, we've had the, the privilege of asking the question, how do we transition in a healthy way? One of the values at CB Northwest has been this idea that we want to identify, train, mentor, and empower the next generation. So how do we discover those in whom we are going to mentor? How do we then mentor them in a way that is going to help them? And then how do we empower them so that they can take off and go in the directions that they need to go? Uh, for me, I've had the privilege of having a staff that has held together uh, many uh, 20 years with me. Uh, some 15 years, some 13 years, some 12 years. Uh, almost all over 10 years. And to be able to, to, to be the same team for multiple years is an incredible privilege, and it's an honor to be able uh, to work with a group of people who are committed not only to one another, but committed to the mission. A few years ago, we started a major transition at, at, at CB Northwest. Uh, Roy became Sergio. And Nancy became Dave, and Patty became Chris, and Dave became John. And then this last year, we had a Jennifer who became a Cora, and a Linda who became a Jamie, 
And now we're going to have a Mark who becomes a James. Eight key positions uh, in the last two and a half years have transitioned at CB Northwest. Because we believe in the principle that you have to identify, train, mentor, and empower the next generation, the process for transition has been a wonderful process. Bringing those in and journeying with that person that they are going to uh, eventually take over their responsibilities and then reshape those things into the new house um, has been a, a great process. It's an incredibly expensive process because you carry two people in each position through the transition. Some of those transitions were three months, some of them were five months, some of them were six months, a few a year long. And so for us at CB Northwest, that has meant um, basically four full-time salaries added to our budget in the last few years, two and a half years. And so one of the things that we did was we appealed to you and we said, would you bring an offering uh, to help with uh, the expense of transition. And I know many of you have come uh, for the, with the, uh, an offering to be given. And so I just want to, first of all, say thank you that you did that with your church, that you and your church uh, contemplated this transition. Uh, you spent some time thinking about what would be uh, our love offering towards that transition. And you came here with, um, with a gift for that transition. Uh, so just a couple of things. First of all, thank you. Second, there's an offering box, all right? And it's right back there in that corner. And uh, we're just gonna allow people to put those offerings into that offering box throughout the week. And back there is a, a little piece of paper, a notice of gift. And so maybe you've already sent that in. And so if your church has already sent that in, and we know that uh, many of you have, then if you would just put down the amount that was sent in. Uh, many of you uh, know what you're going to give, um, and you're going to send it in after the conference. If you know what that amount is, if, if you would write that in. And some of you have brought a check, and you have uh, brought that for uh, the offering here. Um, and some of you might be going, I think we could do this. And uh, so conservatively, uh, you might write that number down. And what we're going to do is throughout the week, we're going to gather those. We're going to count that. And Wednesday night at our last session, we're just going to bless that. We're going to thank God for that offering. And uh, it's going to go as uh, um, some undesignated giving to help with the cost of transition. And so I want to I thank you for doing that, for bringing that. Now, this is the first offering that we've ever taken at CB Northwest since I've been your executive director, okay? And you can bet it's the last one I take, okay? Uh, because I, I'm, I, I'm done, right? Um, I'm that old guy that's going out. And so, um, so this is not something that we take lightly, asking you to bring an offering. Uh, but we believe that where we're at uh, this year, that that offering is extremely important, and we want to we want to say thank you, and we look forward to celebrating what it is that, um, that God has for us. As I think about the transitions um, 
over these um, this this last few years, um, one of the the privileges that I have been afforded in this role is to work with a ministry called CB America. Uh, we have a number of regions around the United States that have a, an executive director position like mine, and um, I've had the privilege in these last six years of being the, the president or the catalyst for CB America. It's been my privilege to try to bring together the regional leadership from around the United States and uh, to come together around a common uh, identity, an identity of doctrine, an identity of polity, an identity of philosophy of ministry that would drive the decision-making for CB America as it works to try to support each region so that each region can be effective in helping churches throughout the United States. And the privilege that I've had over this last number of months is leading the search process for CB America, as CB America has come to a, a, a place of health, um, a place of um, direction that is clear and uh, needs to go to a, another level of uh, attention, a level far beyond what a regional director can do part-time in helping. And so CB America um, has commissioned a process for identifying the new president of CB America who will be the one to uh, facilitate health throughout the regions in the United States. And so it's, it's my privilege tonight to introduce you to Dave Whitaker, his wife Lynette. I'm gonna have you guys stand. Uh, Dave has uh, uh, just been brought on as the, the president of CB America. And Dave's gonna be our keynote speaker throughout the conference here. And uh, I am hoping that you will take the time to get to know Dave and Lynette and uh, just uh, come to, to love them as much as I do. Uh, I've had the privilege from the role of catalyst uh, for CB America, basically to tell Dave what to do uh, for the last bunch of years. And Dave has led CB, uh, CB America in a wonderful way through our mission, vision, and values process, uh, through putting in place the helps that our regions are using. And um, I'm just really excited about uh, their their time with us in um, with CB America as well as uh, being a part of us here at CB Northwest. Uh, Dave's the pastor of Morgan Hill Bible Church in Morgan Hill, California, and uh, just a great church ministry there. And so get to know Dave. And Dave, welcome. We're glad you're here. Look forward to, to hearing from you. The other process that's been going on at the, at the same time while we've been uh, searching for the uh, president of CBA America is the process for uh, discerning the next executive director for CB Northwest. Um, last year, we uh, shared with you the process that we would go through uh, for discovering that person. The search committee, which is our executive committee, did due diligence, they put in over 400 hours of work at, at uh, trying to discern the mind of Christ, interviewing and, and trying to come up with that which they felt God would have for us going forward. 
And the search committee then presented that to our trustee board. And after a, a great interaction between the trustees and the, and the candidate, uh, our trustees unanimously voted uh, to extend the call to James Gleason uh, to be our next executive director for, for CB Northwest. And James, I just want to say I am incredibly excited to work with you and uh, to see um, the, uh, the ministry of CB Northwest come underneath your leadership. And I just want to welcome you to the, the role of the executive director of CB Northwest as we head into this next year. So would you stand? His wife, Mary Beth, is with us. And uh, uh, so I want to just look at their faces. Show them your face. And uh, make sure that, that you get to know them as well. And you're going to get to see uh, a lot of James because he's agreed to be our, our MC. Uh, so officially, uh, James starts as the associate executive director. That will take place for, for basically one year. Um, he will begin his actual work in August. At, and so uh, in August is when he will begin. And then we'll start the process of passing things. And uh, we're going to be going on a tour throughout the Northwest. And the, the name of the tour is in with the, or out with the old and, and in with the new or... Um, bummer out and wonder in or something, but uh, we haven't named the tour yet. If you want to give us a name of the tour, uh, but uh, we're looking forward to coming around to all of our associations and uh, making sure everyone understands the foundation that we believe is in place and the direction for the future. And so I'm looking forward to traveling uh, some more with James. Uh, even though he officially starts in August, he has already put in an incredible amount of energy and effort and time in coming to understand some of the things that, that we're doing and why we're doing them. Uh, he and I have already missed planes together. We've spent um, uh, all night trying to figure out how to get from one place to the other because our planes have been canceled. And, and so we're, we're, we're real close now. Uh, we've shared some hotel rooms. And um, so uh, I feel like we're getting to know each other really, really well. We've, we've, we've had cell phones fly off the top of our rental cars and onto highways. And so, you know, that's, that's who we are. As I think about uh, the transition, as I think about James and I think about Dave, um, in a real sense, these two gentlemen right here uh, are what is going to lead the ministries of CB into the future in America. Uh, these, these men are going to put around them the teams of people um, that they're going to lean into to serve you, the church of our living God. And as I, as I think about what it is that God has entrusted to you, um, I'm excited about where we're going to go in knowing uh, your guys' heart and your desire to serve local churches. And so it really has been my privilege to lead the process uh, that sets the table for you to go forward into the future. And I'll never... Um, I'll never forget that privilege that's been afforded to me in these last few years. Well, where do we go? Uh, well, we go where God wants us to go, and 
What is that foundation that God has given us? So this evening, I want to just remind us of a few things that um, I think are absolutely essential for us to um, to just kind of refresh who we are and where it is that God is leading us. I want you to just kind of respond with me a little bit. Um, you you know the things that I'm going to talk about because you've heard them said over and over and over again for, for many, many years. In the beginning, God. God the Father. God the... You guys are slow. Let's start again. In the beginning, God the... God the... God the... Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is... Love the Lord your God all your with all your love your on these two commands depends the whole law and the prophets you know well because you preach the word of God on a weekly basis and even more than that that there is that Shema that Shema that word that is recited every night and every morning by those who are followers of Yahweh. And in that beautiful declaration of an intent to follow, uh, that idea of hear, hero Israel, um, that idea that to hear is to perceive, it's to acknowledge that which needs to be adhered to that I am going to I'm going to pledge my allegiance to that which God has brought into my ear gate hero Israel the Lord thy God is one we all understand what the Bible says about the heart we know that the Bible talks about the heart being desperately wicked we know that the Bible talks about the heart being stone. Moses talks about the fact that the heart needs to be circumcised. We recognize that our heart is something that cannot be trusted. That our heart must be yielded to that which shapes our heart and turns it into that which is pliable in, in the hand of God, that which makes it a heart of flesh, that which makes it a heart responsive to God. When our heart has been shaped by God, it impacts our intellect, the way in which we think. We recognize that the word of God, it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces to the division of the bone and the marrow, judging the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We recognize that from the core of our being comes that which we are going to perceive, that which we are going to think about, and, and that thoughts take us somewhere, that as we behold a thought, that if we carry it out to its 
conclusion, we end up at a place. And the, the question for us is, are the thoughts that we're thinking taking us to where we should really go? And, and what we recognize is that when our minds are yielded to ourself, they lead us to destruction. But when our, our mind or our heart is yielded to God, it leads us to a place of, of righteousness. So therefore, it says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And, and when I embrace the truth that God has laid out for me in his word, when I will yield my thinking to his definition for everything in life, because he is the creator of everything, he is the sustainer of everything. He is the definer of everything. That when I will yield myself, that it affects my emotion. And, and so we realize that the Bible describes my heart in emotional terms, that, that it's not only the seat for my intellect, but it also is the wellspring from which my emotion flows. And therefore, from my heart comes that which I purpose. David, do that which God has purposed in your heart. Our decision making. So the Shema tells us that we're going to love God with, with all of our heart, with, with our intellect, with our emotion, and with our, our decision making. The choices that we make. And that's going to affect our soul. We're going to love the Lord our God with all of our soul and and we understand that that's not some mystic thing that, that just kind of floats in and out looking for a place to land, but, but it's our soul is that uh, beautiful understanding of the very essence of my being. I'm going to love God with the fullness of who I am, out of the core of my identity. And because I'm created in the image of God, my identity is declared by him. So therefore, my security and my significance and my acceptance comes because of who he declares me to be. Because I yield my thinking to his definition for my personhood. So therefore, I can love the Lord my God with all my might and strength. We realize that that word doesn't mean muscle. It's not talking about muscle. It's a, it's a word that that's talking about the, the fullness of who I am, or um, uh, many have described it as my muchness. It's, it's with everything that I'm connected to in every single way, in every kind of circumstance. In other words, that which brings to my life power, that which brings to my life um, all the things that place me into the stream of that which God has called me to do and to So a, a lawyer comes and he asks Jesus, teacher, which is the great and the foremost commandment? Because he wants to test Jesus. And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, what you have been reciting since you were a child day and night. But a second is like it that you love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends the whole law and the prophets. Jesus tells a story about a, a good Samaritan. 
The story of the Good Samaritan places us in a a cultural problem because we live in a culture where the vast majority of everything that's placed in front of us is to satisfy our wants. And so we have actually fashioned churches and we fashioned ministries to satisfy the wants of Christians. Many times we fashion churches and ministries to meet the wants of the pastors and the elders. We want church our way. We like things our way. But you see, the problem with that is that the Bible does not give us permission to live with the place of making our wants at the forefront of our being. In other words, Christianity, following Christ, is putting the needs of other people ahead of my wants. In other words, good parenting is meeting the needs of my children before the wants. Now, I just had my grandson staying at our house. He's 13 months old, and he spent his first night away from mom and dad. Okay? Now, when I had kids, there was no such thing as a baby monitor. Whoever invented that thing should be taken out and horsewhipped. I mean, why would you want to listen to everything that's going on into a, a, a 14-month-old child's room? I mean, that's just not, there's something wrong with that. And, and yet, we're going to, somehow we're going to take care of this little thing right and and so we got this baby monitor next to our bed and and we're going to try to sleep and yet have the baby monitor go off i want sleep i want the baby monitor in the baby's room i'm old I earned the right to sleep. (laughs) Because it really is all about me. No, it was really about my daughter getting her first night without her baby. It was really about my daughter and my son-in-law believing that they could begin to add another layer of maturity to their family and to their, their life. And it was worth four hours of sleep. Or to say it another way, it was worth four hours of no sleep. Why would God the time and the energy to 
give of himself to reconcile us so that we might become children of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds like need in front of want to me. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, we have one of the most beautiful sections of scripture there is. It says this, all is from God. Everything's from God. All is from God. Who through Christ reconciles us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I look at you, when you look at one another, when you look at me, when we stand face to face, what do we see? What is the intent of our gaze towards one another? For what purpose do I behold you face to face? For what purpose does the congregation that you serve look at one another? We recognize that there is stuff inside of us, that we wrestle with this sin nature and the lust of the eyes and the, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, that, that these things are things that we struggle with in our being. And the person that I'm looking at struggles with those things in his being. I got stuff, and you got stuff. And then there's all this stuff between us. And therefore, because of the things that are in my life, the things that are in your life, and the things that are in the world around us, we can't see each other the way God intended us to see each other. In other words, when you walk in the room, does my heart leap for joy because I am beholding the very image of God? I am seeing Christ in you. Or do I go, whoa, <laughs> you're here. got a lot of stuff and I really don't 
want to deal with your stuff because I want to deal with my stuff the way I want to deal with my stuff. And now all of a sudden we hide and we find ourselves alone. So God says, I'm going to send my son and he's going to take your stuff and he's going to take my stuff. In fact, he's going to reconcile all things to himself. And in doing so, he's going to make it possible for me to be able to look at you the way God intended you to be looked at. And, and you're going to be able to look at me the way in which God intended you to look at me. And when we start from that understanding, when we understand that we want to look at each other the way God looks at us through Christ, reconciled, that there would be no greater privilege than to help one another do that over and over and over again. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. always have appreciated the way Timothy Keller described the gospel. You know, he talks about the gospel as not being the ABCs, but he talks about the gospel as being A to Z. In other words, the gospel affects every phase of my thinking, every phase of my emotion. The gospel affects every decision that I make, that the, the gospel impacts the fullness of the being by which I live. The gospel affects my muchness. So when I will allow the reconciling work of Jesus Christ to change me, then I can be used of God to be in the ministry of reconciling others. Love God. Love others, love yourself. On these two commands depends the whole law and the prophets. I haven't said anything to you that, that you don't know, that you haven't heard. But the question that I want to bring us to tonight is this idea, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you have a healthy soul? it your orientation
primary thought that comes across your mind when you come in contact with another person is who they are because of Christ or who they could become because of Christ. You see, because if if we don't do that, if we don't live that way as leaders of churches, chances are our churches aren't going to live that way. And if our churches don't live that way, then all of a sudden we as a covenant community of churches really have nothing to offer to the world except to please come to our church to fulfill our wants. We need you to help us become the church we want to be. ministry is just a clever way for us to fulfill our wants or are we truly a people that understand the needs of others and have fashioned our ministries to cooperate with one another to such a degree that the very essence of our usness so powerful that the needs of a world that desperately need Jesus begins to just be met over and over again. I had the privilege uh, Thursday? I think it was Thursday. I can't remember what day for sure now that I think about it. No, it was Wednesday. Of being in a poverty simulation exercise and so you went into the gym and around the gym were all of the uh, all of the agencies that were available for people who were in poverty to get help and then you came into the gymnasium and and there were chairs throughout the gymnasium that represented different kinds of families And so I went into the gym and I sat down in one of the chairs and then under the chair was a packet and you pulled out the packet and that was the role you were going to play. And so I was a 16-year-old girl, seven months pregnant, who liked school. Okay, So that was me. I I got to play that role. Well, across the gym was the boy who knocked me up. And that was being played by a 60-year-old woman. And, And so... It was, it was this unique experience, to say the best, right? And as we were going through the, the, the orientation, we were going to go through seven days, and every day represented 15 minutes. So if you went to school, you had to go sit in school for seven minutes. If you had a job, you would have to go over and sit at your job for 11 minutes, and then you had the rest of the time to go to one of those agencies and get the help that you needed to help you deal with your issues of poverty. But you couldn't go get help at one of those agencies without presenting a voucher of travel. And the voucher represented the fact that to get to one of those agencies, it cost time and money. And so after school, in my condition, I needed to go to the health department 
But I couldn't go to the health department if I didn't have a voucher. So I needed to go to my dad to give me a travel voucher. But my dad doesn't have a job because he got laid off. And so he says, you got to talk to your mom who works a full-time job, but she works a full-time job at minimum wage. And so mom had to decide whether giving me that travel voucher or her keeping it so that she could get to work the next morning was going to be a decision that she had to make. But because she loved me, she gave me the travel voucher. But what I discovered along the way to the health clinic is that there was this guy selling stuff. And he was willing to give me five travel vouchers if I'd be willing to sell my stuff to the kids in the school. And I began to realize that, boy, dad could use that travel voucher for going to trying to find a job. Mom could use that travel job voucher for going to her job. And I could use those travel vouchers for going to the health clinic. So I got mom's travel voucher and I went to the health clinic. But there was only four minutes left and there was somebody in front of me in line. And so I kindly said to the lady at the desk, could you kind of hurry it up? The day is just about over. And just as I was stepping up to get my OBGYN permit, she closed the window. And we had to start the process all over again the next day. What were the barriers to helping the poor get what they needed and how would we come to understand? And so all of a sudden my church began to realize that there are ways that we can help people that we never thought of before. If we would just somehow yield some of our wants for their needs and in doing so celebrate a person who's obviously beautiful because they're created in the image of God. They're not a problem. They're a person. Have you ever thought about the Trinity? Authentic community. There is no more beautiful community than the Trinity, amen? I mean, that is the most beautiful community. When the persons of the Trinity behold one another, what do they see? Well, the Bible can only describe it in this beautiful way of holiness called love. God is love. But that authentic community called Trinity, out of the essence of the, their being, their personhood extended themselves to meet your needs and to meet mine. We understand it on the individual level. 
we all preach it, we all preach it, but let me ask you this question. What happens when you see their church? Or they see your church? What do you think about when you talk to a brother from another church? What does it look like to see one another's churches the way God intended his church to be seen? And how does that affect who we are as people who love one another? This conference is going to try to address what is the soul covet community of churches? What does it mean for us to have the heart that God intended for us? So that the connectivity of local church to local church becomes an expression of the very essence of who God is in community. number of years ago God gave us a dream, he gave us a vision he gave us an idea and a vision a, a vision for what authentic spiritual community looks like in the Trinity behold the wonder of the Trinity how they, the Trinity love and commune and serve one another we even created ministries like relational elders training and convergence to, to help us to understand what it means to be invited by God into that Trinitarian community, into relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through the, the gospel come to terms with what it means to be ransomed and redeemed and reconciled and restored through repentance. We desire to try to create systems that would help us to relate to one another in accountability to practice a community of serving and encouraging one another to, to live in reconciliation moment by moment in every area of our lives thereby giving a picture of authentic gospel, A to Z, within our community before a world that is watching. To see churches living this out with their spouses, husbands and wives, and with their kids, their grandkids, with lost kids, with dysfunctional families, by by serving in the community that God has called us to, by meeting with one another in a, in, in, on a regular basis to see God at work amongst us. The reason why we do this is because the Bible tells us to. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, through 11, 1, in Psalms 37, 4, in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 20, in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, in Isaiah 1, 
14 through 23, in Jeremiah 31, 2 through 5, in Isaiah 41, 9 through 16, in Romans 8, in 1 Peter, in 2 Timothy 2, 2 and 8, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us to. For churches to want to know God in a, a deeper way and make him known within our oikoses, our circles, the places where we meet one another. It's our prayer that God would place within us a desire that our hearts would be guided to consistently seek him and, and share what we've learned and what we've had the purpose of meeting one another's needs. Dave, James, it's my hope that God can bring a, a church together to be living with God, before God, in authentic community sharing our, our weaknesses and yet encouraging one another that he may be pleased to light our hearts afire as we truly seek him and love one another by reconciled living and trust. Trust in him to do what he wants to do amongst us. Although we may go through some fire to get there, that we arrive as an authentic community that's lived out amongst our churches. That's my prayer. As we pass from the old house the remodeling takes place as we identify, train, mentor, and empower from one generation to the next. We had Thanksgiving at our house. All my family showed up. And my lovely wife, Janelle, always wants me to do that thing that delays eating. Could we go around the table and ask each other what you're thankful for? You got Any of you guys do that? So sure enough, because I love my wife and I look at her the way God intended for me to look at her, I went around the table and I asked everyone what they were thankful for and we made it around the table and I said, all right, let's pray and eat. And my daughter, dad, what are you thankful for? I said, Velcro. She said, Velcro? I said, yeah, Velcro. Why, Dad? Why are you thankful for Velcro? And I said, well, because when I'm old and you're putting depends on me, those safety pins I don't think are very safe. And so I'm thankful for Velcro. I'm about done. I'm headed to the couch with my mom. 
we're going to shake our way into glory. What are we going to leave to the next generation? Boy, I hope it isn't a list of wants. I hope we haven't taught them how to be selfish, to make church in our image instead of in the image of God. It's his community. gracious God and heavenly Father we come before you in this most sacred moment it's sacred because in this room is those who bear the image of God but it's more than that because these image bearers of God have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and they have believed in the propitiation work that was afforded to them on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ died and took our sin. But God, today we stand as a part of that which is a lie because Jesus rose from the dead and he has afforded to us not only the privilege of being reconciled to God, but he's commissioned us with the ministry of reconciliation the removing of stuff so that we could see one another the way God intended us to see one another. But God, we desire so much more than that. We desire that churches would be reconciled to one another so that churches could see each other the way in which God intended, so that those churches in covenant community could live authentically in a world that is so blinded and so deceived by that which is disingenuous. So God, may the living for the needs of others through self-sacrificing service become that which would cause the world to declare my how they love one another and therefore be compelled to listen to the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we give thanks tonight. Amen.